Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. Diana, we were just talking about an interesting conversation you had recently at Dinah School. Is that something you'd be willing to share with our listeners? Oh, absolutely. I was having a meeting with Dinah's teachers. Everything's going amazing. They're amazing. But I just wanted to open up conversation about gender. And the question was asked of me, is there anything as a school that we can do better? Because they really do amazing. I said, well, yes, (laughs) there is. I said, as a school... I hear a lot, boys and girls, moms and dads, and this is very binary language. And I think as a school, it would be much better if you didn't use that because it excludes many people, not just people that are non-binary, but I said, you know, even saying moms and dads, not everyone has moms and dads and people have guardians and depends what you're talking about. And my child's kindergarten teacher said, kindergartners really have a hard time understanding guardians. So we just say big people. Your big people. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, right. Because also sometimes when they're talking about like, do your homework with your big people, not that they really have homework in kindergarten, but you know, that idea, it's like some kids go to after school programs. So their big people are the people that work there, or it's their babysitter, it's their nanny, it's their family member, it's whatever. When we say your parent, then it's an expectation, A, that you have a parent, and B, that that's the role they play in your life. And I think that can be really damaging. So that's where the conversation started. Is like, yeah, I hear boys and girls a lot, a lot of binary language, and I think that's the way the school can improve if you, you know, want to know. <laughs> and Dinah's PE teacher said, let me speak up as the old man here. And I don't know how old he is, maybe in his 60s, um, early 60s. And he's like, I've been using boys and girls for a long time. You know, it's very difficult for me to learn new things. And, you know, when I do say boys and girls, Dinah doesn't mind at all. He goes to the boys and I let him go to the boys and it's all fine. And so my response to that is absolutely. And I'm glad you let him go to the boys. It would be fine for him. This issue is like, what can the school do better? And I'm telling you something that's not necessarily for Dinah, but something I think the school could do better in this, in this regards. And really what I'm hearing there is there are likely other kids or will be, if there doesn't happen to be right now, who maybe don't currently identify as being either a boy or a girl. Right. And I think this is something, uh, none of my children are non-binary, but, you know, from reading other people's narratives or speaking to people that are non-binary, it's this like growing up is a common narrative I hear of this invisibility because everything's binary, boy and girl. So it's like, where's my existence? I'm not even acknowledged. And I think that leads to a lot of confusion of like, how can I be this thing I feel inside that nobody talks about, that there's no inclusion of in people's language. That's why I just try to be really cognizant of it. And I always try to generalize it to who else could this help? I think it's beautiful that you're bringing up just a broader conversation here about inclusion. Mm -hmm. And in my context, right, I'm working in a corporate America space. This is huge, all these concepts of diversity and inclusion. And yet the tactics around it are challenging for people to wrap their head around. 
in terms of well, what does that mean? What do we need to do differently? Yeah, the idea is great. I want to be inclusive. <laughs> right. And then there's the how. So I'm curious in that conversation, was there some diving into some of the tactics of what that might mean for the school? Well, it started in that conversation. I did say something to that PE teacher because to me to say I cannot learn new things, I don't buy it. You can if you want to. I'll give credit that your neural pathway has been created for a much longer period of time. And so it might take more time to undo that, but it doesn't mean you can't learn it. So let me start there. I did not say that in the meeting, (laughs) but I wanted to. (laughs) Well, and I think you're right though. So much of how we choose to show up has to be a conscious decision. Right. And if people are not willing to make that decision, then it's very challenging. Right. So what I did do is pretend like he did want to learn. (laughs) And what I said was, you know, the first thing to realize, I I, I told him, I said, you make a great point. It's not going to be immediate that you make it, decide to make a decision and it changes. It starts out with recognizing when do I use binary language and start just recognizing when it comes out of your mouth and then think in that situation, what could I have used instead? And then practicing that, whether talking to somebody else, like, let me tell you this story and see if I can use it with inclusive language, practicing it in your head, thinking, okay, next time I want the kids to clean up. I say, Hey students, Hey friends, whatever that word is and practice it. So I said, that's where it begins. And then this constant awareness and constant practice and thinking about what would I do instead? And so I'm curious because for for the gym teacher's perspective, I'm assuming he might use the language of boys and girls simply to like split up the rooms or, you know, maybe before they, at that age, they're not going to locker rooms. Right. But I'm thinking of, you know, bigger picture, right. Those are other challenges that perhaps we can talk about another time (laughs) is our context for today's conversation around this really related to the fact that we use that language of boys and girls simply to create groups within classrooms or within a population of students. Both. I think the example he gave me was cleaning up when he mentioned, I just did this the other day and Dinah was fine and went to the boys group, but it did spur on the guidance counselor who was at that meeting saying, Hey, can we meet more about this later? And we talked about coming up with lists of what are alternatives to how to split kids up and what are alternatives to saying boys and girls. So two different lists there. Yeah. Meaning an all-inclusive list to mean everybody, what are, what's language we can use for that. And then what's language we might use to actually split up groups. Right. I say, well, you can do it by birthdays, like anyone whose birthdays January to June and one group in July, December, or you can say like, if you had to choose between chocolate and vanilla, which would you choose? Like line up that way. And, you know, and she said, but what if it's uneven? I said, even if you split up by identify as boy and identify as girl, it's often uneven. And what do you do? You say, okay, you two move over here. We're going to mix it up a little, right? For some reason, it gets scary to do, maybe because it's something new that I feel like our brain shuts down and all the tools we normally use, like in that case, (laughs) when it's uneven, what do you do? You move it around. Like, that's not a big problem, but it's like, oh no, this is a new scary thing. I, you know, I loved that we were having this conversation. I just like to point out all of us, like my brain does that too, when I'm facing something new or that I'm viewing it as new that I can't generalize it to how do I do this in a different way? Well, I think that's so accurate. I think we create this fear mechanism right away and create barriers for ourselves. And a perfect example, I had somebody say, oh, one time to me, Dinah's teacher in preschool. So I'm going to say it the way she said it. 
my goddaughter just told me, you know, recently came out as non-binary, but like, I don't even know what to call her now. Can I like, what do I call her instead of goddaughter? And I was like, godchild. And she was like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> oh, a word I al- already use, like right there at my fingertips is inclusive. Like, I think she thought it was going to be some new term to have to learn. Radical, a different version of language rather than something simple. Right. I don't know if it's a political issue, you know, that people have been like, ah, how do I do this? But it's like, we have, for the most part, inclusive language to use. There are a few examples where there's nothing readily available, like sir and ma'am, you know, you can people or ex- just say, excuse me or hello <laughs> without yeah. adding sir and ma'am, but you know, uncle and aunt mm-hmm. people are coming up with other terms, but there's no well-known general term for uncle and aunt or niece or nephew. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of another really common phrase that I've used and hear other people using is ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So like, what would be a good alternative? Depends who you're speaking to, but esteemed colleagues, my guests, mm-hmm. right? Because when you say ladies and gentlemen, there's a certain amount of like respect you're trying to give. So yeah, that's why I throw in a word like esteemed, but there's guests, people, visitors. And again, it depends who you're speaking to. Yeah. It's reminding me early on when I entered the professional world or when I was searching for jobs, it was like, what do you put at the top of the letter that you send in with your resume, right? And it's like, dear sir, ma'am. And it's just reminding me of that angst when you like want to use the right language, but you don't know, (laughs) right? you may not know how or or what the right language is. Right. Like to whom it may concern or yeah. yeah. Because the way I was raised, I always addressed envelopes as Mr. or Ms. And I started thinking about this, like, what if somebody hasn't come out? What if I don't know? And I'm making this assumption. So as hard as it was for that formal side of me, I, I don't put the title on anymore unless I know, like, especially if it's an aunt or an uncle who I believe I know how they identify and I, then I do them out of respect. You simply use a first name, last name. Yes. I just took it out. Okay. And again, that's a really simple, elegant solution to something that otherwise might feel like we're all tripped up over. Right. And there are people that use mix it's MX pronounced mix as the neutral term, but I don't think everyone's familiar with that term. Not that that means you can't use it. Meaning you wouldn't want to confuse someone either. <laughs> right. If you're trying to be respectful and then you use some language that isn't well known. And I anticipate over the quickly over the years to come, undoubtedly, this will iron itself out or there will be language that becomes much more familiar to all of us. Right. As it has already. I mean, I don't think we were talking about non-binary, not that it didn't exist, but we weren't talking about it even 10 years ago. You know, or I think at the beginning of our journey, eight and a half years ago, we were fighting so hard just to be seen as transgender on the binary. That wasn't even a part of the conversation. Not that it shouldn't have been, but it just wasn't. So we were already like, how many people know the term non-binary now is pretty amazing. And we have more to go. More work to do. Yeah, of course. Of course. Always more work to do. So looping back with your story at the school, then I was hearing it sounded like maybe the school counselor was really interested in trying to collaborate with you to support the school. Absolutely. She's amazing. And they really all are. And she said, you know, I don't see our teachers pushing back. They really want to do the best thing, the right thing. And I think that's really key to understand. It's not like this is the cool thing to do. It's like, why is this important? I said, that's what we have to communicate. So an example that came up, she said, there's a grade, the grades in the school, like they're probably less than 20 kids per grade. So small school, she said, there's this one grade. She's like, I'm just going to say it, but it's the girls that are having problems. So the guidance counselor said that 
she brings in the girls of this one grade to lunch because there's been a lot of conflict. I think she used the word drama. So we talked about, she goes, but I realized then I'm saying the girls. And then the teacher says, now the boys are want want a chance to have lunch with you too. Not because they have conflict, but they, you know, and she's like, how do I split this up without like saying girls and boys? And I said, well, what is the purpose of meeting with this group of students? She said, well, there's a conflict. I said, so it's a conflict circle. And I think that's really good to notice because is every single student that identifies as a girl in that grade part of the conflict? Because I know, you know, there are times where students have been like, well, I don't really want to be with the girls. I identify as a girl, but I'm not part of that conflict. I'd rather go eat lunch with my friends that identify as boys. Or there are people that will feel, you know, I'm, I'm not even part of that group. And now I don't even get to go to lunch with the guidance counselors because I'm not part of that group. So as, a, as an educator, you got to figure that out. However, as long as you call it the girls group, when it's about a conflict that you refer to as drama, it perpetuates this concept of girls and drama, the stereotype of girls and drama, just call the conflict group. And I said, that's the point. Get to the base of why are you separating? It's very easy. And we've done it for a long time of separating boys and girls, but what, what truly are you trying to do? Yeah. And I'd add that Diana, maybe in this case, right. It's probably totally appropriate, maybe even amongst parents to talk about it as the conflict group, but maybe with the children, themselves, she might want to come up with another, another set of language to reference it. Absolutely. Friendship circle. Yeah. (laughs) Or a special lunch group, you know, today's special lunch group or whatever. (laughs) Right. Just name the kids out who are coming. Like just, there's not that many names. So just name, I want these people to have lunch with me and then I'll have these people tomorrow, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of what we talked about. Like what's the heart of the issue. And, and we talk about this in medicine too, when my husband's a cardiologist, Arthur's a cardiologist. And so he was talking about when they assess risk, there's a point system they use to assess cardiac risk for surgery. And, and part of it is gender, technically sex, what someone assigned at birth. And I said, but what is the issue? I'm like, well, you know, women have less risk, but what is, what if I told you, and this was a real patient once upon a time, like like a 16 year old who had ovaries removed. Now she's 50. What category would you put her in? And he said, I put her in the men category and nothing to do with how she identified had to do with the hormones. Now on a medical perspective, she probably was on hormone replacement, but that's beside the point. I was making a point. So it wasn't what they were assigned at birth. It was the hormone exposure. And I'm like, that's what we have to get to. What are we truly measuring and looking at when we classify it as men and women, boys and girls? And here I am using binary language. Well, I think that the reality is so much of it is ingrained in us. And the fact that you just have awareness to recognizing that. And it also undoubtedly is due to your background and education being in that medical profession, just like you talked about how your husband's using language of, well, we, you know, women have a lower risk. And your, your point is, no, it's not that women have a lower risk. It's people with a certain exposure of a certain type of hormone have a lower risk. Exactly. Right. And that's way harder to say because it's more complicated. And so we've come up with easier shortcuts right, in order to simplify things. Yeah. But especially in medicine, there are a lot of things that are very long, long worded and we just make acronyms. So to me, eventually we'll get it. We'll make acronyms. It'll all be good again. Yeah. Short again. Well, and early on, what you mentioned up front was also a reminder to me of just how much in our world is based upon assumptions and how much we're all just trying to navigate the world doing the best we can. And it's totally a natural human thing that our brain is trying to get to the right answers as quickly as possible, given what we know. And so a big part of what we're even talking about today is helping people know something different. 
And that is going to be challenging for individual brains to go through that process, just like you talked about, right? Creating that new neural pathway of understanding something. And it takes practice and it takes the first step of just awareness that maybe we're doing it a way that we prefer not to do it moving forward. So how do we move stepwise into a new set of habits? Exactly. But I do have hope because I've seen how the non-binary language plays out in middle school and in high school because... I have a kid in every, every school, you know, you choose your battles. And so in the case with Dinah school, they asked me, what could I do better? I offer it to them. There was a point in time where every time I heard the binary language, I'd go to the principal of that school and say, Hey, just so you know, I heard this again, because it was kind of like, well, we had to talk about this once, two years ago. So we're good. It's like, no, it's a continuous practice a continuous awareness. Let's encourage people to keep going. Just the other day, a friend of mine reached out to let me know that her daughter was in the LGBTQ plus support group or group at the high school and that the superintendent was coming to talk and that my friend was saying her daughter, who identifies as a girl assigned female at birth, wanted to bring up that so many of the teachers at the high school use the term boys and girls. And that there are individuals in the school that don't identify as boys and girls and that they're making them feel invisible. I think that last line, I mean, it just hit me. I was like, okay, it almost gave me the energy of like, okay, we can keep going on this. Like we're not alone story. I tell myself sometimes like I not the only one battling this battle. Other people are hearing it. They're being affected by it. They're bringing it up to the superintendent. I don't know if I would have that courage when I was in high school. I know that Clark definitely doesn't because Clark has mentioned hearing the same thing, but he's like, maybe you could say something, mom, but don't say you're my mom. You know, like, (laughs) Oh gosh, I would guess that, you know, as kids grow older, that they're more and more particular about how parents show up within the school environment. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so that was a high school story. And we've been talking about Dinah at the early elementary level. What What's your visibility at the middle school? The middle school, I know through Grayson. Grayson is my outspoken child who wants to do right in the world. So he's been had the same PE teacher since fifth grade, and he's in eighth grade now. And at the beginning, at fifth grade, uh, and I think the PE teacher even told me the story, (laughs) he would say, okay, line up boys and girls. And Grayson would always raise his hand and said, what about those that don't identify as boy or girl? It's like, fine, go wherever you want. And this happened over and over again to, you know, here we are. And I think I heard the story even like two years later, but now we're like, you know, in the fourth year that the PE teacher told me that he goes, now I just know I say line up boys and girls. And if you don't identify as either one, just choose one you want to be in. Maybe not perfect, but I'm like, at least had like Grayson created an awareness and it allows for more inclusive language. So I definitely hear a lot of boys and girls language and binary language in the middle school, but hopefully Grayson will inspire people to be more like him and point it out. Cause that's what it takes. Like they point it out to me too, right? If that's part of creating awareness, it's hard to create it in yourself. Initially, it helps to have an outside, but you have to be open to it. Yeah. And thankfully this PE teacher was open to it. That's beautiful. What I love about the Grayson story is that just as you mentioned, the most important and powerful part of this is just having the awareness or encouraging repeated practice with awareness. And I think that's the reality of this, making a change. And again, in our habits is so hard. And I'd love to remind our listeners, if you haven't listened to the session where we introduced Dinah's story, 
I mess up a couple times in there and I continue to mess up every once in a while and I use the wrong pronouns and that's normal. And it's super helpful to have somebody who can support us and help us recognize that when we're making the error. And as long as we're going in with positive intent, you know, there's a willingness to kind of accept and, and forgive and move forward to be better. Absolutely. I love that. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.